there, true believers, and welcome to Simply Devotion, the podcast that is all about seeking Jesus on deeper theological levels, because he is worthy of all of our devotion. Welcome back to Simply Devotion, the podcast where we are looking deep this season into the lifestyle, the culture, the background of the biblical and historical figure, the king of the universe, the Messiah, the savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And today I am joined with the now near famous podcaster, Jonathan Martin, Focus on Shema, Shabbat, and the Savior. Basically, the spirituality of Jesus. So, John, uh, welcome back again. Good to be here, V. And we're going to talk about how did Jesus keep himself spiritual? He had a lot on his shoulders, a lot of pressure on him all the time. Like For sure. Saving the world kind of stuff. Mm-hmm, which apparently he realized when he was just 12 years old. Right, and you can hear about that in the previous episodes of this season, right? Exactly. He also had, like, political unrest and, you know, like, enemies who were trying to trick him up and and trigger him, we might say today. Yeah. And he also dealt with these rowdy group who said they wanted to follow him and never understood anything he was saying. <laughs> right. <laughs> Otherwise known as the 12 disciples, right? Mm-hmm. All these things wear on us, sorry. You know, like, so today, you know, the pandemic has worn on people. Mm-hmm. But even before that, the rigorous work, life, home, family balance for Westerners, for Americans, for people who pursue both materialism and education and a career and a family it's very easy in our time to get out of balance and yet we live in a time where we have every single tool to keep us in balance right Mm -hmm. we have like pocket computers (laughs) right that we can change the world just by pulling out a device right you know we have you know, we, we don't even have to take three days to get to Galilee. We could just jump in a car and go. Right. right. I, I have a watch that tells me when I've been sitting for too long and that I should walk around. Right. Like, like, like life could not be easier, but we find it hard. But in Jesus time, like he had all the stresses we had and none of the convenience, none of the comfort, none of the excess. Maybe, John, some people decompressing right now listening to this podcast they're just like ah it's been a hectic week you know i just need to chill with jesus so i'm gonna put this podcast on and pull this pocket computer out and this this you know information relay system from some computer and the other side of the world pulls this file and it goes up these wires and they listen to us and they're like get a little word from Jesus now. I mean, Jesus didn't even have a Bible app. No, he he had to memorize it, right? (laughs) That was the whole point of his first 10 years of education was to memorize the Bible. Right. He didn't have a Bible. Like, Like when Jesus wakes up to do morning devotions, he's not opening the Bible app. Nope. He's not even cracking the leather spine on a Bible. Nope. What's he doing? Like, how would Jesus have maintained that connection that seems like it's unbreakable when I read the life of Jesus? It seems like it's untouchable. It seems like he doesn't need to Google search words like Shema and Shabbat. (laughs) Right? You know, or any term, you know. 
it yeah. seems like his spirituality is not dependent upon a podcast. Right. As much as we're a fan of podcasts. Like, he's unbreakable spiritually. It would seem that way, for sure. Very, very close connection uh, to the father. I think there's no uh, greater example of that as when, you know, Jesus was struggling in the garden, right? And he's crying out to his father. He's struggling with um, with the prospect of the cross. Um, and so you clearly see that connection that, so it's undoubtedly there, right? Jesus was a deeply, deeply spiritual person. He was very connected uh, to the heavenly father. Um, and he even went around and as an example, right? To the disciples, um, you know, the disciples were like, hey, we want to pray like you, Jesus. You're obviously a very spiritual person and, and God cares about what you have to say. And, and we want to pray the way you pray. And Jesus spent some time teaching the disciples how to pray. So even the disciples were able to catch this dimension of Jesus and his spirituality. And they wanted to emulate that. They wanted to be like Jesus. Right. You know, so, you know, the crowds, they didn't always follow Jesus for fishes and loaves. They didn't always follow Jesus just for healings. It's like when we talked about the Sermon on the Mount mm-hmm. and, you know, people just sort of sense this. I don't want to use the word hyper spirituality because in our world, the word hyper has taken on a negative sense. Mm-hmm. But he has this. And I don't like the word unbreakable. I just keep thinking about unbreakable Kim Smith, you know. Right, right. The the, the Netflix show. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus has this bond, this bond with God that even the most religious people I know don't have a bond like that. Mm. Now, is that because he's divine? Well, we did talk about in in a previous episode, right? Jesus was 100% divine. And so in that way, Jesus is not like me. But at the same time, Jesus is 100% human. And in that way, he is like me. Um, and, and so, yeah, there's always that kind of, that question that hovers around is like, okay, so is this attributed to his divinity or is this attributed to his, uh, humanity and what parts of this is my example, right? And what parts of this is something that I can emulate and and copy in, in my life. Um, but I think when it comes to his uh, spirituality and his connection with God, um, I think, I, I don't know, I may be wrong, but I think this is one of those things that you would associate more with, with his humanity. Well, I do see him doing things with his daily humanity you know um we we may even go as far in our day and age to call them spiritual disciplines jesus Mm -hmm. has spiritual practices that are normative to him that it appears at least from my point of view are not for show Mm -hmm. but are sincerely valuable ways that he as an individual wants to live his life through like you know he he didn't just teach other people to pray he also had his own individual prayer life right um as a matter of fact i looked this up earlier as i was preparing for this episode jesus is depicted as praying at least 25 times in the gospel. So 25 times it is specifically mentioned that Jesus uh, was praying. And it is part of that prayer life that prompted the disciples to ask Jesus, okay, teach us how to pray. And of course, Jesus gives them, uh, you know, the Lord's prayer, right? Which which many Christians are, are very familiar with, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, etc. 
Um, so the disciples were definitely like, we want to pray like Jesus. And, and Jesus did encourage them to pray. Um, and the type of prayer life that Jesus has, I think, was largely uh, one of solitude. Luke 5, for example, it says that Jesus often, that word often means that he did it a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus would often withdraw to lonely places and prayed. So we have this image of Jesus going off into, um, you know, quiet places, solitary places, so that he can pray, talk with God. Um, And Jesus told the disciples to do the same thing. In in Matthew 6, 6, Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father. Right? Right, right. Jesus seems to have specifically taught that prayer is this private time between you and your heavenly father and and you should you should do it you should do it often but kind of this private thing yeah so he has this prayer time and you, you know we're, we see him praying on mountains we see him praying in gardens we see him praying by the water we see him even encourage the disciples take a break mm-hmm. take a break you know you you've been working hard let's let's take the boat over to the other side and rest. Right. So prayer life and rest life. Right. Jesus. Yes, absolutely. In the same way that Jesus took time to be alone with his father, he he took time to just be alone and rest as well. Right. To just uh, do nothing. And he didn't need to be alone. As we found out in the previous episode, He, 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 he would, he would just sprawl out, on on the fisherman boat and go to sleep in the middle of a storm, right? Yeah, I was like, I was just gonna go there. You know, the the fact that he is sleeping on that boat, you know, if you read just before that, you know, he was exerting a ton of energy, was teaching people, he was healing people, and it was just time for him to rest, right? And so the disciples are the ones rowing the boat. By the way, it could take about three hours of rowing just to get from one side to the other. Sure. Um, and, and you know, Jesus is just resting because he's tired. And so we see that Jesus, um, he strikes this work-life balance, which oftentimes we don't necessarily think of as a spiritual discipline. And yet there is something very, very spiritual about rest. Right, right. And I want to explore this a little bit because you would think if you only have 33, 33 and a half years on the planet and you have to save the whole planet, institute a worldwide global movement and, you know, basically be a seminary for your core leaders and give everything in order. So once you die for the world, there can be an institution to propagate it throughout all time and history. You would think you'd be pretty busy. And as a pastor, Mm -hmm. I hear people tell me who, you know, just have a job and some school and so forth. We're too busy to come to prayer meeting. We're too busy Mm -hmm. to come to your daily Bible study in the morning. We're too busy to take a Sabbath, to take a rest. We're too busy, you know, before the pandemic, The stats, Pew Research, said that people who consider themselves full-time dedicated Christians came to church, on average, no more than one to two times a month. So we struggle with prayer and rest. Hmm. But maybe, maybe the secret, like Jesus did lots of spiritual things. He read scrolls in synagogues. He had groups of friends. He had community in layers around him. He had 70 disciples, 12 disciples, three really good buddy disciples, Peter, James, and John. You know, he he had his getaway buddies, his get, his getaway friends over in Bethany. You know, yep. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and Simon. You know, um, he fasted. He, you know, he practiced the spiritual dis- discipline of fasting. He, he went into solitude in the desert, fasting and praying for 40 days, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, there's lots of layers to ways we see Jesus be spiritual. But I don't ever see him 
making the excuse that, hello, I am the savior of the world and the God of the universe. <laughs> I am too busy to pray or Sabbath, which, you know, so Shema and Shabbat hmm. are key Jewish ideas about prayer and rest. Are they not? Am I? Do you think I'm on to something here, John? That the secret of Jesus' spirituality is actually doing these things rather than making excuses why he's too important for these things. I think I think you're absolutely right, Vinny. Um, and I don't think it's a coincidence that these two ideas, Shema and Shabbat, find their root, their origin, in the Torah. Right, the very first five books of Moses. And so Jesus is drawing from essentially the very beginning of God's revelation to humanity. And he is practicing Shema. He is practicing uh, Shabbat. And And the fact that these are ancient practices, the fact that Jesus engaged in them, he definitely thought that there was some importance to these two institutions, these two traditions, um, Shema and Shabbat. So for our listeners, John, like you and I, you know, we're kind of Bible geeky guys. um, And, you know, we, we, we throw around the word Shema, we throw around the word Shabbat. These are not words that everybody who's listening are familiar with. And yet, the core Torah, the core Old Testament terms, and their core Jewish ideas, classical Judaism and Second Temple Judaism, Mm -hmm. and they're the bedrock of practice in the life of Jesus. I mean, I preached last year on Shema in my church, and my church members were just like completely blown away. Like they, they, their spirituality was was challenged and changed in good ways. Some people I knew were like, hey, we saw that sermon, like not a part of my church. <laughs> we saw that sermon on Shema. We showed it to our church, you know, like, but Shema and Shabbat are not new. They're ancient. Let's start with Shema. Because Shabbat, we can get to. But Shema, what? What's a Shema? Is it a pet? Is it is it a day? What is it a is it is Shema a holiday or a food? I don't know. What's a Shema? So uh Shema is a Hebrew word um that is translated as here. It's an imperative. So it's like a command. So it's it's basically, you would say Shema when you want somebody to drop what they're doing and listen to what you're about to say. So Shema is translated as hear. Hear me. Hear what I have to say, right? Listen. So that's, that's the word Shema, yes. Listen. Uh, listen to me. Uh, and so the reason uh, Shema has kind of is now used as a noun, right? Right. And uh, it has become something significant is because that is the very first word in uh, a Bible passage that many Jewish people, uh, actually any faithful practicing Jewish person is going to recite the Shema. In other words, they're going to recite these verses every morning and every evening at the very least. And these verses are found in Deuteronomy chapter six Mm -hmm. and there are verses four and five and they go like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. So, as I said earlier, any practicing Jewish, faithful Jewish person is going to recite these two verses every morning and every evening. It's almost as if, it's almost like what the Lord's Prayer has become for Christianity. Right. Right. Uh, You know, we're going to recite the Lord's prayer. And so the Shema is is that same idea, but for the Jewish community. Um, And so every morning 
and every evening they are praying these words, the Shema. But the Shema, you know, it's a morning prayer. It's an evening prayer. Every faithful Jew, all the way back to Moses, did Shema, right? Yes. Like I, I remember seeing Jews when I was in Israel stop in the airport at the time for Shema and and pray publicly because it was Shema, right? Um, Shema is like every morning, every night, because like it tells you to stop mm-hmm. and hear. Right. Stop and hear that your Lord, your God is one. Right. And he's speaking to you. It's Shema is this prayer life where you're stopping to hear God's presence for your people, for your land, for your region, for yourself, for your family, right? Like I've read accounts where, you know, families, that's what they would do in the morning. Like Christians, you know, we wake up with our families and we 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 make our our eggs and our uh, you know, we we, uh, we we pour milk on Cheerios and we have grace, but but they had Shema. Mm-hmm. More important than blessing their food was to hear God. And I don't know, traditions I've read said like really faithful Jewish people, you know, like husbands, as soon as their eyes open, they said Shema before their feet hit the ground. They're going to still do Shema as a family. <laughs> right. But but Shema is like, I'm alive. I need to hear God. Mm-hmm. Right. And and when you listen to the words of the Shema, like what Shema is actually saying, it is actually very profound, especially in the time in which they were first uttered. Um, these are found in Deuteronomy, and this is Moses's sermon, essentially, mm-hmm. to the Israelites. Mm-hmm. So when it starts with hero Israel, this is Moses saying, in a sermon here israel listen to this like this is important right this Uh, is a national address from their from their leader right yes okay so this is like four scores in seven years like this is like the abraham lincoln stuff right like this is their version of it right exactly um and right off the bat you have this statement the lord our god the lord is one now the word lord here in if you were to look it up in your Bibles, chances are it's in all capital letters. And the reason it's in all capital letters is because that is not actually the Hebrew word for Lord. It is actually what is called the Tetragrammaton, which is uh, the, the four Hebrew consonants that represent God's personal covenantal name Yahweh mm-hmm. so when it says the Lord our God what it's actually saying is Yahweh our God is one Yahweh is one and so it's a statement of faith not just a statement of faith but it is a statement of monotheistic faith mm-hmm, mm-hmm in the one true God. Now, you have to understand that these words were uttered in a time when people worshiped were polytheists. Them. Right. They worshiped all sorts of gods. Mm-hmm. And yet here, Moses is saying, listen up, Israel. Listen to what I got to say. We worship Yahweh, and Yahweh is one. There is no other God except for Yahweh. Right. It is a statement of faith. Right. Old Testament scholar Tim Mackey from the Bible Project mm-hmm. points out that not only does Shema mean hear, it's the only word that they had for obey. Because his point is, if you really heard Yahweh, you do what Yahweh tells you to do. Right. Like There's a holiness about this prayer. Yeah. And the holiness, the sacredness about this prayer is, I want to hear God's voice today, tonight, now, that I may be able to obey God's voice this morning, 
tonight and now. And we know, we know Jesus prayed that prayer. Oh, for sure. And not only do we know he prayed that prayer, we know that he thought that prayer was of utmost importance. Yeah. In fact, he said it's the most important, right? Mm-hmm. You remember this? Yeah, Jesus was asked, he was asked, what is the most important commandment? <laughs> of course, you know, this is coming from uh, a scribe, uh, somebody who studied the law, and the Jews had a lot of laws to study. He's like, which one's the greatest? And Jesus says, Shema. Tell you, right? He says, Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Right, right. Uh, you know, in in Christian traditions, unfortunately, and I, I say unfortunately because I, I truly believe it's unfortunate that we have just reduced these statements to the two greatest commandments. And they are the two greatest commandments. I get it. But in doing so, most Christians don't even know the word Shema anymore, right? <laughs> and for me, that's heartbreaking, you know, so... Mark talks about this. I'm looking at Mark's account of it in in Mark 12. And Mark says that like a great teacher of the law came to Jesus, you know, and, and everyone was debating Jesus. Like they're trying to trap him. Trying to, is he Orthodox? Is he really a Jew? Mm-hmm. You know, let's test his understanding. And so this guy comes forward. He's like, of all the commandments, Rabbi Jesus, which is the most important. And Jesus answered, Shema o Israel. Of course, we have it in English. It was written in Greek. And we have it in English. And so we say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. But it's actually Shema, right? It's actually hear Israel, obey Israel, because the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then Jesus gives the second great commandment, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two things hinge all the prophets, right? Mm-hmm. And even that second one is also from Torah. Correct. Right? It's from Leviticus 19, verse 18. Right? So so Torah is important to Jesus. The two greatest commandments come from Torah. Mm-hmm. But the greatest commandment is Shema. It's listen. It's obey. Right. And it's this ancient prayer. Right. And, and the prayer is ultimately about aligning yourself in relationship with God. Right. So it, it makes sense as a prayer. It makes sense to pray this in the morning. It makes sense to pray this in the evening because I want to start my day off aligning myself in the correct relationship with God. And I want to end my day aligning myself in a correct relationship with God. It makes sense. It's all about identifying who you are serving and and making sure that you are aligning yourself in relationship to God. You know, the Jews, even though the prayer has the personal name of God, Yahweh, they they substituted, just as our translation substitute Yahweh for Lord, mm-hmm. they substituted it with Adonai. Right. So, Which means Lord. Which means Lord. Mm-hmm. So they prayed Shema Adonai not Shema Yahweh, even though that's what is in Torah. We continue that tradition, I think, for their sake. It's always been my theory anyways, because they take God's personal name, Yahweh, so seriously that they're afraid that it might be mispronounced. So they substitute Adonai. Correct. But I only add this in so that as people hear Jewish people pray Shema, they understand why they're using that different word. Mm-hmm. And for them, it's a sign of respect because they don't want to accidentally say God's name wrong. Mm-hmm. 
but I don't think that Christians are bound to that. Right. And there are some translations that will use the word Jehovah um, in, in these places where, where it's God's name. That's where the word Jehovah comes from, right? Correct. Yes. It's a transliteration. Right. The reality is we don't really know how the word was pronounced. And so, you know, we get a transliteration, Jehovah, you know, some people think, well, it probably sounded more like Yahweh, you know, uh, we don't really know. It was lost to us because nobody uttered it out of respect for God. And so we ended up just saying Adonai because we didn't want to mispronounce it. Right. 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 But the point is not the name. The name is important. It's only important in in the sense that it identifies, like, there's no doubt which God we're talking about here. Exactly. He's the one. Yeah, you can't confuse this statement as referring to, you know, Baal or Asherah or anything like that. This is Yahweh. This is Israel's God. This is not Beelzebub. This is, yeah. Yeah. Right? So, here, obey and seek this God with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul, with all your... Like, so Jesus is adding to Shema in some ways, right? Like he's your mind, soul, and strength. I don't know. Yeah, in... in I think it's Luke's version, translate, um, Luke's gospel. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Luke's gospel. It says, you know, heart, soul mind and strength so they added the mind the word mind there which kind of makes sense because luke is speaking to a greek audience right right yeah and and so you have this um not necessarily an expansion but you know kind of uh a way to make it understandable to the greek person because the idea here is we're gonna love god with all of our being Right? right heart soul strength and for the greeks your mind as well right right in in deuteronomy in verse five deuteronomy six five the second part of shema moses simply says love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul with all your strength so luke is the one who adds mind right which is kind of in some ways a Greek expression, like they're, they're more concerned about the mind than for Hebrews, your soul and your heart and your mind are all sort of one thing. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because it's, it's basically saying the same thing. It's we're going to love God and obey him with our, the entirety of our being. However you want to divide it up, however you want to slice it, it's gonna, it's the whole thing. So Jesus starts every day with Shema. Jesus ends every day with Shema. Jesus probably utters Shema whenever he wants to. It's that prayer. It's like you said, it's like the Lord's Prayer. Uh, maybe our evangelical friends would see it like the sinner's prayer. It's like <laughs> the most important prayer, right? Right. <laughs> Maybe our 12-step friends see it like the prayer of the serenity prayer, right? It's it's the central prayer. Right. It, it is the it, prayer upon which all other prayers are based. Right. It, it literally is a prayer, like you said, to align yourself with God. It's, it's literally a prayer to center yourself, mm-hmm. right? This is the practice of Jesus. And we have it in his own words, this is not speculation. We have in his own words that he believes is the most important part of Torah. Mm-hmm. That's pretty big. I don't know. I, yeah, I think that's huge. pretty big. It's huge. <laughs> you know, yeah, Christians are like, Shema, what? what? What's this? Is this a sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> right. And so it's, it, 
the fact that Jesus has attributed massive importance to this statement and the fact that Christians have no idea what Shema is, or a lot of Christians don't know what Shema is, it's sad, right? Mind-blowing. Like we haven't spent enough time studying this. We haven't spent enough time looking at this. We haven't spent enough time interpreting this in light of Jesus. And uh, maybe it's time we should start. My church have fallen in love with this word. So much so that our worship leader uh, researched a Jewish song that reiterates Shema in a contemporary way. Hmm. We've got this Hebrew prayer now restructured. Anytime like any of my sermon themes even get close to listening or obeying, you're going to find that song, the Shema song, pop up in, in our worship set. Everyone in my congregation can can recite Shema in Hebrew. Right. Because <laughs> they sing it like regularly in Hebrew, you know. Not that you have to be able to do that, but it's just like going to the point because Jesus put such emphasis on Shema, we should at least know it. Right. That's Shema. What's Shabbat? Shabbat goes all the way back to creation. Um, Bible tells us that God created the world in six days. Mm-hmm. And then on day seven, it says that he rested and that he separated the day, that he made it holy. It's a unique, special time in which God took a break from his work of creation to enjoy it. Um, and then we have that same idea reiterated in the Ten Commandments, Fourth Commandment to be specific. Uh, it says, remember the Sabbath day, Shabbat. So for our listeners again, Shabbat is the Hebrew word for Sabbath? Correct. Okay. I mean, some of our listeners will know that, but, but some will not. Yes. So in the fourth commandment, God reiterates, says, remember Sabbath day, Shabbat, to keep it holy. Six days you will labor and do all your work. The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. And in it you will do no work. You nor your son or your daughter, manservant, even your animals, right? It goes all the way down to your animals and says, this is a day of rest. We're going to remember um, because at the end it says, for in six days, the Lord created the heavens, the earth, the seas, and all that is in them. So it, it's basically a commandment to uh, stop what you're doing and to rest. So Shabbat means to rest. Yes. It's interesting to me, and I've thought long and hard about this on a number of occasions, that the reiteration of the commandment of Shabbat at Mount Sinai is given in response to Moses leading them out of the oppression of the Pharaoh. (laughs) In one of the reasons it says in Torah that they wanted to be liberated from the oppression of Pharaoh was because they were slaves. Yeah. (laughs) They were being worked to death. Yeah. Like literally the expression, make more bricks with less straw, comes out of that story, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's an expression, an idiom, even in English today, but it comes out of that story. And the idiom means, you know, when you have an oppressive boss who expects more from you than is actually possible, mm-hmm. right? And so the Jews were being worked to death by the Pharaoh. And, you know, I don't know, not going to speculate, but he did have some mighty big pyramids and stuff over there. Like <laughs> if it wasn't them, he, there was probably slave labor involved. That's my point. Mm-hmm. Right. So in the preamble to the Sinai restatement is you should do these because I am the Lord. I am the Yahweh. I am Yahweh who brought you up out of literally it says slavery, right? Mm-hmm. The slavery of the Pharaoh, the slavery of Egypt, right? Yep. And so Shabbat is about rest, but it's also one of the Old Testament's defenses to rebuke slavery. You can't be worked to death. No matter if if you are in Israel, no matter if what your status, no matter who your employer, 
Shabbat mm-hmm. is guaranteed. It is a fundamental right. But it's even more of that, right? Like it's even, particularly by the time of Jesus, it's 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 not about being a commandment. It's not about being just part of creation. It's it, it's it's not just about a covenant made at Sinai. It's it's this deeply spiritual moment. This it's like Shema, right? Shema is that deeply spiritual time of day and evening that 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 you connect with Yahweh, and Shabbat is like Shema for 24 hours right <laughs> it's like this deeply spiritual time mm. that we connect with Yahweh right so whereas Shema is a twice daily moment of realigning ourselves in a correct position in mm-hmm, our relationship mm-hmm. with God Shabbat is a weekly extended version of Shema, right? Where we're not doing it just for a moment in the morning and for a moment in the evening. We're taking 24 hours to make sure that we realign ourselves so that we have this correct relationship with our creator. Right. It's this... um... The consistency of Shema in the evening and the morning is beautiful, but it's brief. Mm-hmm. I still got to go to work. I still got to plant the garden. I still got to, you know, make money. Mm-hmm. I still got to need bread. I get my Shema in the morning and in the evening, but Shabbat, I don't have to go make money. I don't have to need the bread. I will do the minimal towards the animals. I'll do what's needed for their care, but I'll, I will not be out there, you know, harvesting the wool, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I will be like spending that time in communion with God and community. That's it. Now, we have evidence that Shema was super important to Jesus. Is there evidence? that Shabbat was equally important to Jesus. There is. Uh, Jesus himself made this statement in in Mark 2, verse 28. He says, the Son of Man, talking about himself, Mm -hmm. is Lord even of the Sabbath. So Jesus is saying, I am Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is mine. The Sabbath is an institution that ultimately should point back to me. Um, And so Jesus closely identified himself with the Sabbath. What did Jesus do on Sabbath? Well, we know um, uh, one of the things that Jesus did, uh, we we talked a little bit about this. We mentioned it briefly in a previous episode, but uh, the Bible tells us that it was Jesus's custom to go to synagogue on Sabbath. So one of the things that Jesus definitely did on Sabbath was, you know, get together with the community of believers <laughs> and read scripture and hear a sermon, right? So that was one thing that Jesus did customarily. It was his habit. That's what he did on Sabbath. Um, So that's definitely something we know for sure. Right. And over and over, we find that it was his custom to go to synagogue on Sabbath. Right. We talked about that when he. I guess until he got kicked out. Well, (laughs) it was. It was his custom to go to synagogue on Sabbath if it was in Nazareth or not, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Jesus had the custom of going to synagogue on Sabbath or Shabbat. Jesus had the custom of spending time communion, in communion with God and his disciples during Sabbath, right? 
right? Jesus um, used it as a spiritual time. In fact, there are seven incidents in the gospel accounts, if we calculate them up, that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. So Jesus saw the Sabbath as a time to liberate people from the things that held them back. Hmm. Right. It, which is which is in the spirit of the Sabbath, right? Uh, Sabbath is intended uh, for us to, yes, we remember our creator. We mm-hmm. worship God on, on the Sabbath. And we also remember that we are also created in the image of God, right? And if God rests, then me who am created in the image of God, right? I need to rest as well. Um, and it doesn't matter who you are or where you find yourself. You're not a robot. You're not a machine. You're a human being. Right. You deserve rest. And that may mean rest from work. That may mean rest from oppression. Right. It, I just always, um, I just always found it interesting. Like just literarily interesting, metaphorically interesting. That Shabbat being about seven, <laughs> and Jesus has seven distinct miracles <laughs> that he made sure he did on Sabbath. Hmm. It's like he's trying to make a point <laughs> that Sabbath is, you know, for liberating people, for yeah. setting people free, right? Like, yeah. It sets you free from labor. It sets you free from secularism. It sets you free from, you know, the the grind, if we would say, right? right. Yeah, it's, it's ultimately about freedom. Right. It sets you free from evil oppression, right? Right. It's, it's about freedom from, from all things that keep us back, whether that be sickness, whether that be work, whether that be uh, injustice, right? Right. Anything that sets us free, that's what Sabbath is about. So Jesus heals Peter's in Mark 1 on Sabbath. Yep. Jesus heals a man with a withered hand in Mark 3 on Sabbath. Jesus heals a man born blind in John 9 on Sabbath. Hmm. Jesus heals a crippled woman in Luke 13 on Sabbath. Hmm. Heals a man with dropsy in Luke 14. And dropsy is when there's an excess amount of fluid trapped in your body. Hmm. Um, Jesus drives out an evil spirit on Sabbath. (laughs) Jesus heals the man in the pool in John 5 on Sabbath. So Jesus saw Shabbat as time to be spiritually aligned, but also to go about helping other people get spiritually realigned. Right. And, and, and when you think about it, seven, right? The Sabbath is on the seventh day of the week. Seven in, in Hebrew culture was completion right it was the number of completion and so yeah you know it's this idea god completed creation but how fitting is it that these people who are not whole are now made whole on the sabbath exactly exactly now this did cause some controversy yes because and it still causes some controversy even today. So if you tell anyone you keep Shabbat or you tell anyone you keep Sabbath, if you tell anyone you just take one day in seven and all you do is rest, they the first thing they're going to accuse you of is being a legalist. In Jesus' day, Shabbat was highly regulated. 
it had moved away from a realignment. It had moved away from being a spiritual joy to spend this time with God and family and friends and food and celebration. It would just become like this list of things that you could and you could not do. They, 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 they added all kinds of rules onto Shabbat that the, the likes of which Moses never heard of or did. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I was so, telling you, I was telling you, you know, um, before we started that the Torah only has the Sabbath commandment. And then there's two negative examples right about cooking and about building a fire and, and that's it right it's like you don't want to cook you don't want to build a fire and you want to stop working because those right? things in the ancient world took immense amount of work right exactly and then um and so from those three ideas the jewish people because remember this idea of putting fence around fence around fence around fence right Right. From those three ideas, they they had 39 different categories of how you could break the Sabbath. And then within each one of those categories, there was dozens of rules on how you could do one of those things in those categories. And so you ended up with hundreds hundreds of laws just to govern keeping Sabbath. And so a lot of the negative ideas that people have about Sabbath and Shabbat now are based on those rules and even more rules that have been added on since, you know, by rabbis and religious teachers. A lot of the negative consultations about Sabbath actually come from man-made rules. I, I, And I think that's part of what Jesus is saying. Look, don't question me on the rules. I'm not into all of these rules that the Pharisees are into. I'm not into all these rules that the rabbis are teaching you. You know what? They got rules, but I am the Lord. They got rules, but it's my day. They can make rules, but if my disciples want to eat, we eat that they pick from the field, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. How, in other words, I go around healing people, and that's a controversy. They're upset that he was healing people on Sabbath. They're, they're saying things like, well, couldn't this man have waited until after? And Jesus is like, this man has suffered all these years. Why should he wait another moment to be liberated, right? right. Yeah. So Jesus got into trouble for Shabbating the way you're supposed to Shabbat, right? You know, and we need to decompress from this view that Torah, that commandments, that Shabbat are about things you can't do. Right. And remember... I am the Lord God who brought you up out of Egypt. I am the Lord God who brought you up out of bondage. I am mm -hmm. the Lord God that brought you back up out of slavery. Shema and Shabbat are about celebrating liberation. Shema and Shabbat are about celebrating freedom. Shema and Shabbat are about realigning you and others, realigning you and family, realigning you and community back to Yahweh. And that's the way Jesus practiced both. It's the way we should also live, hmm. right? There should be a time that we stop. Daily, there should be a few times we stop. Mm -hmm. And there should be a time weekly we stop. Because we need more than short rest. Sometimes we need long rest. Right. Right. Sometimes we need more of a realignment. And so we, we look at this unbreakable bond that Jesus had with his father. And we realize his father wants that bond with us. But in some ways... We pray three times a day, but never to listen and never to obey, only to make sure that our food is good with God. 
And if we go to church, we go to church once or twice a month, rush home for the football game. We have no, it's devoid of any sense of community or holistic healing hmm. or joy. You know, like, even when I watch The Simpsons, poor Homer, he don't want to go to church. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, March! And that's kind of like the American sentiment, right? <laughs> it's like we go because we got to go. Right, it's a chore. We're perpetual teenagers. Mom and dad says we're supposed to, you know, like, oh, Jesus. Shema. Shabbat. These are opportunities to deepen that connection with his father. You know, I want that kind of connection. Me too. He is our example. That's right. I don't want a fast food relationship with God. I don't want to read the greatest commandment and not even understand where it comes from, right? Mm -hmm. Not even understand it's one of the oldest ancient prayers. Not even to understand that I'm supposed to be praying that I will hear so that I will obey <laughs> with all my mind, with all my heart, with all my soul. I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be in this mode where it's like, it's not convenient for me. Hmm. Maybe if we practice these ancient things that Jesus practiced, not from a point of view of, you know, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to pray exactly what Moses said, or I'm going to, you know, head off to a synagogue every seventh day. But I think Jesus did these things. He stressed their importance. And he taught his followers that he was the way, the truth, and the life. I just say, if he's the way, follow the way. John, I'm going to take us out a little bit differently than normal. I'm going to take us out with a rendition of the Shema prayer song that my church does and I would just invite our listeners at home to Shema to listen Shema. 
you have been listening to a podcast produced by simplyvinny.com. Stop by our website, read our blog, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and all that jazzy promotional stuff. But remember, I'm the podcaster that likes to remind you when life throws a monkey wrench at your head. Jesus is still the logo, the reason, the logic, the word that builds your life back all the way to the kingdom of God. Until next time, God will be blessing you. See you at the next podcast.